0: You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by mission partner, Nils von Kahn.
1: Today's reading is from Mark chapter 5, verse 24 to 34. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. and she felt in her body that she was freed from all her suffering. At once, Jesus realised that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus just kept looking around to see who had done it. The woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell fell at his feet, and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Uh, Well, good evening, everyone, Uh, everyone here and those who are on the live stream. My name's Tim On, the Senior Minister here at St. John's, and it's a privilege to welcome Niels von Cam, who's going to come out. Um, Niels from Anglican Overseas Aid. We'll give him a round of applause to welcome him, because we love to welcome our guests. Thank you. Niels, it's been great having you at all of our services today and hearing some more about the work of Anglican Overseas Aid. Um, we thought we'd just ask a few questions, because some people might be more familiar with Anglican Overseas Aid than others. Um, now, there's a clue in the name. It's an Anglican organisation yep. focused on relief and development around the world. Yep. But could you tell us a little bit more about the focus of the work?
2: Yep. So, um, firstly, thank you so much for having me here today. Um, yeah, it's been great to be here this morning and, and this afternoon again. So, we are the Aid and Development arm of the Melbourne Diocese. So we were created uh, 33 years ago by Archbishop David Penman, who had a vision for Anglican churches in Melbourne in particular to respond not just to emergencies but to um, overseas aid and development work, so long-term community development work that he wanted to respond to and so it grew from there and we now work in seven countries around the world. Okay.
0: Yeah. Where, are those, where are those countries or regions where your work's particularly focused?
2: So in Africa we work in Mozambique, Ethiopia and Kenya. Uh, in the Middle East we work in Gaza and East Jerusalem. In Asia we just work in India and in the Pacific we work in the Solomon Islands and in Vanuatu.
0: Okay. Now, when you, you talk about these different places where Anglican Overseas Aid is working, you don't actually have sort of employees or workers on the ground, but you do it through partnerships. Yep. So, you partner with local organisations on the ground. So, what's the logic behind that? Why do you do it that way?
2: Um, because they know much more than us about what's going on because uh, they're locals um, and so we want to work through, through local communities. Uh, and local partners. So basically our partners in different countries are mainly the Anglican Church in that country. So for example in the Solomon Islands, our partner is the Anglican Church of Melanesia and they're the ones who do the work on the ground over there, whereas our job back here is to support them mainly financially and also to report back to our donors who uh, are churches just like this one, individuals and also the Australian government who um, gives us uh, money out of their aid budget as well. Okay. Now, earlier this year, um,
0: when I was reading sort of a press release from Anglican Overseas Aid, I was I was really pleased to hear that you had actually partnered with other organisations um, so that when there's a humanitarian crisis in the world, something big that's happening, um, you work together. There's a thing called the Emergency Action Alliance. That's Is it. that right? Yep. yep. Um, so what's
2: the theory behind that? Why have you all joined together to do that? A um, number of reasons. So... When you hear about an emergency happening in different parts of the world, uh, you might see something on, say, like the ABC website where it's got a list of agencies you can donate to. Um, so now this makes it easier. So it's like a one stop shop. You can just um, click on the one link and it'll take you to, to a website with the Emergency Action Alliance and you can donate through them. And then what happens from there is um, they'll distribute the money according to where it's most needed and to which agencies work in that country. So, for example, um, I'll use the Solomons as an example again. Say there was an emergency there like a cyclone, which often happens this time of year actually, um, and if if another agency uh, was donated to and they weren't working there, the money might come to us because we work there. Yep. And so it's, it works goes then through the local communities and the local partners as well.
0: I just think it's great. I think it's also great because of the the unity of Christian organisations working together, not competing with each other. But where there's a need, let's just jump in together. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, our missions committee, which we assign money each year to different mission partners, but we also keep money in hand in case there is a humanitarian crisis. So with Afghanistan this year, we mm. said, like, we'd love to give some money to help what's happening in Afghanistan. Yep. And it's great to have the Emergency Action Alliance to mm. sort of go, that's the place to give it because we want to give through our, yep. through our partners and what they're doing. Mm. Um, now we've all been impacted obviously for about two years by COVID and you know we've prayed at the start of the service for you know the terrible things that we're seeing happening around the world. Mm. How's
2: it impacted the work of Anglican overseas aid? Um, it's impacted us in a big way and again our partners in those countries. So what they've had to do is is what's called pivots from the work they would normally do to uh, preventing COVID, which makes mainly is in the form of uh, messages about health, uh, washing hands, um, clean water and sanitation, and so on. And so it's about getting those messages out to communities to prevent disease, because in certain countries there have been um, spikes of, of of the of the illness. Um, I'll, I was going to mention in my sermon, but I'll mention it now actually. That's In Australia, I think it's in Melbourne, actually, we've just passed 90% of people being fully vaccinated. Um, Whereas in Africa, I just looked up before, 4.4% only are fully vaccinated. And so that's a a huge problem. In a a, a continent where most countries are not as uh, developed in in the economic sense as we are, So they haven't got that infrastructure in place. So um, countries have had to move away from their normal work to go to, to COVID. That's happened over the past probably 18 months, um, now they're slowly coming back to doing a bit more of their local normal work as well.
0: Yep. okay. Yeah. Uh, now we, I mean, you you partner with organisations and as a church, you know, we use the term mission partners because we wanna see it as a partnership. We wanna learn um, from you as we will tonight, but also to, to give to the work that's happening, to pray for the work that's happening. So I guess the last question is, how can we be good partners? How can we do a good job of that partnership with Anglican overseas aid? Um,
2: you already are, so, um, so uh, partly, partly why I want to talk to you today is to thank you, to thank um, St John's here for the great work you've done in supporting us and you continue to do over almost 30 years. So that's, that's financially. We, we do need finances to continue our work, but also prayer as well is a big part of it. So we recognise that we can't do this work alone. Uh, we're a Christian organisation. We want to rely on God working through us to do the work that we do. Um, And so churches like this one, you've supported us for so long. So you are a good partner, and we really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you.
0: Well, before Neil speaks, how about I pray for the work of Anglican Overseas Aid. Loving God, we thank you that you are passionately committed to the whole world and all the peoples of the world, and you have a particular heart uh, for those who are poor and most at risk. And so we thank you for Anglican Overseas Aid and the partners that they have on the ground uh, doing this work in Jesus' name. Uh, And so we pray uh, for Anglican Overseas Aid. We pray for Niels in his role and for the whole organisation and the work that they are doing. And as we hear from Niels now, please open our hearts and our minds to hear from your word and to hear your call on our lives, that we might respond in a way which is full of love for our neighbours, wherever they might be. And we ask it in Jesus'
2: name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Thanks, Tim. And thank you, everyone. And hello and good afternoon to you all. It's good to talk at at an afternoon service. Um, And it's good to talk in person as well, and maskless as well. Isn't it great to do that? And hello to everyone uh, watching on YouTube as well. It's great to be with you. So, uh, my name is Niels von Karm, um, as you've just found out, um, Anglican Overseas Aid has been around for 33 years. I mentioned before we were started by Archbishop David Penman uh, back in the late 1980s, and we work in seven countries, and what I want to talk to you about today is some of the work that we do in Gaza, um, and if we can bring up the first slide um, there on the screen, I want to talk to you and tell you a bit of a story about this woman whose name is Amal. Amal is a 38-year-old woman who has two children, aged four and two, and she lives in a refugee camp in Gaza. Just to give you a bit of context, uh, Gaza is a war zone uh, in the Middle East. It sort of borders Israel on one side and the Mediterranean Sea on the other side. It's 12 kilometers wide at its widest point and 40 kilometers uh, long. And it's the third most densely populated region in the world. About two million people live in that, that small amount of space. 95% of the water in Gaza is undrinkable. They have electricity for about six to eight hours per day, and most people can't leave. Uh, it's, it's been, I mean, we've talked about us being in lockdown for a big part of the last couple of years. Gaza has been in lockdown since 2007, and that's because there's been a blockade by Israel, and there's been the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians. And the people in Gaza, are pretty much trapped. It's known as the world's largest open-air prison. Now, with people like Amal, she has extra issues to deal with, because some time ago, Amal felt a lump on her breast. She sought a mammography for that at the Ali Arab Hospital, which is a hospital that we support in Gaza, and that, that lump revealed cancer. Amal Amal maintains a positive perspective on her situation, and she's thankful for what's what's happening um, in terms of her treatment over there. And the story of of her recovery highlights the success of the work of the hospital that they do in extraordinarily difficult circumstances. I was there three years ago, and there were some bombs flying around between Israel and Gaza, and and they have to treat people who come in. when They they had attacks earlier this year as well, um, and they had to treat Um, people who were injured from that. They've also got to deal with COVID, and also then you have people like Amal dealing with their own issues of breast cancer. Breast cancer is also one of the leading causes of death in Gaza. Uh, roughly, the survival rates for breast cancer in Gaza are about 40 to 50 percent. Whereas, if you compare that to a place like Australia, where the, the rates for survival are about 85 to 90 percent, you can see the difference um, and, and the, the difficulties that they face. On top of that, there's also a huge cultural stigma with uh, breast cancer in Gaza. About 70 percent of men whose wives have breast cancer over there, leave their wives for another woman, because there's a very strong honor and shame culture over there. On top of that, if you're a young woman, and your mother or your aunt or someone, some other female in your family has or has had breast cancer, you will be considered to to not be marriageable because because of the risk and the cultural stigma, and so you will be ostracized, and you will most likely end up living in poverty as well. That's what it's like for many women living in Gaza today in 2021. So as I talk about that and talk about people like Amal, what has that got to do with being here at St. John's on a Sunday afternoon, lovely afternoon in the the, the heart of Melbourne, is it? The heart of Melbourne, the uh, sort of outer um, suburbs maybe. What's it got to do with that, and what's it got to do with being Christian, and what's it got to do particularly with the reading that we had from Mark's Gospel this morning about the woman with the flow of blood? Well, I think it's got everything to do with it, really. And if we look at this story in Mark's Gospel, and if we look at it particularly in the context in which it was written, we'll find out a lot about why this story is relevant to people like Amal today. Because if you look at the Gospels, you need to look at... at who they were written to, the people in the stories, and what was actually going on, and their situation, their context. So let's take a look at that. Firstly, we look at the way Jesus treats people in the Gospels. Some people, when he heals them, he takes them away from the crowds, and he heals them away from everyone. Other people, like this woman in this story, he heals in front of everyone, and he shocks a lot of people. Jesus has a habit of shocking people in the Gospels. And so he does does that with this woman today. And if again, if you picture the scene, picture yourself in the crowd that day. There were people everywhere. We've got Christmas coming up. There's going to be late night shopping every night, 24 hour shopping a couple of days beforehand. There's going to be crowds everywhere because restrictions have eased. People are going to be jostling all over the place, bumping into each other. And yet we have, in this bizarre situation, Jesus saying, who touched me? And Well, of course, everyone's touching each other. Everyone's bumping into each other. So what, you know, what, what do you mean, who touched you? We'll get back to that. But at this stage of his ministry, Jesus' popularity is at its peak. He's got rock star status, if you like. Everyone wants a piece of him. Everyone's coming to him to get healed, to hear what he's got to say, and to see who this strange young preacher guy is. So there's that situation. Now, there's this woman who's had this bleeding for 12 years. Firstly, being a woman in that society, in Palestinian society 2,000 years ago, immediately meant you were at a disadvantage. Your testimony was not valid in a court of law back then, simply because of your gender. They talk about old wives' tales. That's those sort of things where it comes from. They just weren't trusted. That was one thing. Secondly, this woman had been bleeding for 12 years, and she'd had this bleeding for that long, and she'd gone to doctors who had, who had tried to treat her and made her worse. That meant she probably couldn't have children, which meant she was probably also divorced, because a man could easily divorce his wife in that culture for, for that reason, because they the, the, the idea was she must have sinned in some way she must be must be something wrong with her that 's how women were treated in that, in that culture so this woman was a social outcast she was a pariah and she was considered to be a nobody someone who you sort of walk past when you 're going going shopping and someone who's sitting by the side of the road there and then we have a couple of quite bizarre events happen first she 's healed physically. And again, after 12 years going to all these doctors, being made worse, something has changed in her body and she knows it. Then we had this scene where Jesus says, who touched me? This really bizarre scene. Also too, we note that the purity laws in that culture as well meant that anyone like this woman who was considered unclean, anyone she touched, was considered to be unclean as well. So does that make Jesus unclean? Well, no, because Jesus walked all over those sort of laws and those sort of rules back then, and he actually made this woman clean. Let me explain that in just a moment. But then we also see, as well as the physical healing, the further healing of this woman. We see her, her psychological healing and the healing of her identity. The healing of just who she is as a person. So, what does Jesus call her in front of everyone? Yep, daughter. He calls her daughter. So, this woman who is considered to be a nobody, Jesus says, No, you're a somebody. You're included. You're one of us, daughter. You're one of the family. You're important. Other people are no more important than you. These Pharisees over here, these religious leaders, they're no more important than you. You're just as important as them. So this woman who has seen herself as less than and who others have seen as less than is suddenly told by Jesus that she is not less than. She is just as important as everybody else. Can you imagine what that does to her sense of self-worth Because you can imagine, firstly, when she comes up to Jesus to be healed before all this happens, you can imagine her being sort of physically hunched over, not wanting to be noticed. She comes up to him, hopes to just touch his cloak, be healed, and then scurry away with no one watching, no one noticing. Because the terror of being noticed for her is too much. And then to make it worse for her, probably in her mind, Jesus calls her forward and says, come out in front of everyone. And, and tell us what happened. So it says she came out with fear and trembling. No wonder. But that's when she's affirmed in front of everyone. I don't know if you've ever been affirmed affirmed in front of a whole group, but it feels pretty good, especially if you've been uh, put down and considered to be a nobody by other people in uh, in your in your circle. So that's the sort of healing that goes on with Jesus. He heals her physically but there's a holistic transformation of what he does. He heals her very identity. He treats her with dignity. 21 years ago, in the year 2000, the World Bank did a study called Voices of the Poor, in which they interviewed about 60,000 people around the world who were living in poverty, and they asked them, what is poverty to you? So if I was to ask you that question this afternoon, what sort of words come to mind when you think of, of poverty? Give me, some, give me some words and tell me what you think. Starvation. Starvation. Sorry? Homeless, Homeless. yep. Illness. Illness, yep. Disease. What else? Lack of respect, Lack of respect. yep. Sorry, you said something? Sadness, absolutely, for sure, good answer. Someone said something over here? Powerless, yeah, good one too. All those things are true. What this study found was that the overwhelming response of people living in poverty to what poverty is for them was that it's a lack of a sense of dignity. Sure, it's about a lack of stuff, a lack of things, material things, but overwhelmingly, it was about a lack of a sense of dignity a feeling of feeling trodden on by others, a feeling of being less than. That's what people living in poverty experience. And that's what Jesus comes to transform in people like this woman in this story. And we see it all throughout the Gospels. He's known as a friend of sinners. Not that she was a sinner you know worse than anyone else, but that's what she was called in that culture. We see that with with Jesus. He always goes to those people who nobody wants to hang out with, and he sits with them and befriends them. And all throughout the Bible, we see this too. There are over 2,000 verses throughout the whole Bible which talk about God's concern for the poor and for justice. Right from Genesis, where we see in Genesis 1, we see the creation story where humanity is created in the very image of the Creator with full dignity. It's where the concept of human rights comes from. Through to the creation of Israel, then the prophets in the Old Testament, people like Amos, Isaiah and Micah, who rail against the injustice of Israel and call them back to God. Then we see Jesus hanging out with all the wrong people and being killed and then rising. Then the early church as well. In Acts, we read that they shared everything together and that no one was in need. Have a look in Acts 2 and Acts 4 the end of those two chapters, where it talks about the early church and, and the way they, they loved each other and treated each other. Then you have the writings of Paul. And then you go to the very end in Revelation. In Revelation 21, we have the new creation. So Genesis, we had the creation story. Revelation, we have this great, great scene in Revelation 21 where heaven and earth come together finally and there's no more tears and no more pain and no more death. Because the old order of things has passed away. I don't know about you, but in church when I was growing up, the idea of being Christian was about saying a prayer and then going to heaven when you die. I think if, if that's all it is, that's short change in the gospel. Heaven's actually coming here. That's the ultimate Christian hope. That's the ultimate Christian hope. I'll tell you a story about a guy called Jim Wallace who, who started a group called Sojourners in the U.S. Uh, in the mid-1970s. The reason I mention him is because he also wanted to find out back then what the Bible says about poverty, what God's concern is about poverty, if, if anything. So back then him and a friend of his took a Bible and they took a pair of scissors and they literally cut out from their Bible every verse they could find which talked about God's concern for the poor. The way Jim tells the story is that what they were left with was a holy Bible, H-O-L-E-Y. It was a Bible full of holes because they found so many verses and so many passages which talk about God's concern for the poor all the way through it. And that's why organizations like Anglican Overseas Aid do what they do, because we want to follow Christ and be committed to alleviating poverty, and to help work with God, to help bring God's kingdom on earth as in heaven, as we prayed before in the Lord's Prayer. So the Gospel is much bigger than any of us have ever thought. It's not just about our individual relationship with God, important though that is. It has social implications, it has political implications, and so much more implications for the environment, for global poverty, economics, and women with breast cancer in Gaza. These are all central gospel issues. It's about the reign of God, the love, peace, joy and hope, all Advent themes as we come up to that time of year. So for almost 30 years, you have been part of that, and I want to thank you for that this afternoon because St. John's first started supporting us in 1994, and you've kept doing that pretty much every year since then, and you make a tangible and eternal difference to people like Amal in Gaza. So thank you so much for the work that you do, because you are part of it. You are part of the the solution in doing that. If we bring up the next slide, I want to finish off with a quote from Desmond Tutu, one of my great heroes. And he said that your ordinary acts of love and hope point to the extraordinary promise that every human life is of inestimable value. Let me say that again. Your ordinary acts of love and hope point to the extraordinary promise that every human life is of inestimable value. St. John's, your ordinary acts of love and hope are contributing to the fact that lives like Amal's are worth, are worth so much and that their lives matter. That's what we believe is God's dream for people like Amal in Gaza. I'm available after the service to have a chat with anyone who wants to know more about the work that we do or anything I've said today as well. But thank you so much again and God bless you.